This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. On the COVID report today, we are joined by CEO of Road Freight Association, Gavin Kelly, to talk about how COVID-19 has affected the trucking and freight industry. And firstly, lockdown has seen a significant decline even in the delivery of essential products and services with consumer distribution volumes approximately 30% below the comparable volumes in April 2019. With the few disruptions that have occurred with inventory supply, what other difficulties has the sector experienced and were there any delays in removing essential imported products from ports? Yeah, it's been a very, very tough time over the last couple of months and I don't think anybody has had a normal life in terms of the way in which they either went to work or didn't go to work and what they could or couldn't buy. So some really, really tough times. I don't think any of us have lived through these. And the questions you're raising are, are really going to allow us for some reflection. And, and the bad news is it isn't going to end now. So let's take a look at what's happened in the last couple of months. And the first, the first two months of those last couple of months were really, really stringent lockdowns. And in terms of road freight logistics, there were operators or who you might call transporters who transported anywhere between absolutely nothing. So their fleet stood, they went nowhere to if they were lucky around about 75 to 80% of what they were transporting in terms of volume before the lockdown occurred. And that is because as you rightly say, there were various commodities that were being moved. So some people who moved fuel or medicinal medical type supplies or food were lucky to continue operating although those volumes had did drop and continue to decline even to this day whilst others who were moving other things like and i'm just going to use a couple of examples tvs or clothes or furniture or that type of thing there was nothing for them they had to park their trucks in the depots close their warehouses and or manufacturing plants and send employees home if they weren't at home already or, or house them somewhere where it was safe. In terms of figures, we saw, as I said before, roughly between 75 to 80% of some volumes down to zero. If we look at it now, the average across road freight logistics is around 40% of revenue has been lost and it has impacted every single operator in the country in terms of how much revenue they make, what sort of profit they're looking at, because a lot of operators have two legs. They have an in and an out leg, and, the, and they're not necessarily the same cargoes or the same commodities. And when an operator has lost the second cargo because that wasn't seen as essential, they've now obviously lost their revenue, and that impacts on their sustainability. So that's where we are right now. Now, we know results of RFA's lockdown survey indicated a vast majority of trucking companies were already in critical phase where they did not see themselves existing after the lockdown. With every major industry dependent on the sector, how can companies ensure that they can adapt and what provisions have been put in place to ensure essential services continue to keep the economy afloat? Look, essential services is a category on its own. And if one takes a broad swipe at what would you call essential services, so let's say the foods and the fuels and the medical type things, um, and there obviously now are other types of 
semi-essential services or essential goods like clothing that you would need for the winter. As you recall, there was a special um, category allowed for that. The bigger problem is that in a normal economy, there are various levels of contracts and there are various levels of interaction in logistics chains. So, for example, a large retailer will have various types of transport contracts out and some of those will be long-term requiring a high type of technical requirement. That requires generally that you would run your financing of those sorts of vehicles and those sorts of facilities like depots and part depots. If you're traveling a long distance, you'd need to finance that over the contract period. What has happened now is that due to the revenue having been cut, that these operators can no longer finance or keep up with the payments in terms of ensuring all of their infrastructure is running. And of course, volumes are down. Now, that's the big thing. People are not buying anymore. So the amount of money out there for operators to keep bringing in revenue has dropped. So what is happening is that we've had a lot of operators, not just small one-man operations. There have been operators who've had up to 10, 50 trucks who quietly overnight have gone out of business because their revenue streams have been cut and they've disappeared. So going forward, there are fewer operators out there, which means the competition in terms of getting best buck or best service for, for your buck, best bang for your buck, is going to be a lot stiffer. And we think that for the first couple of months, transport costs will probably rise because there will not be enough transporters to keep everything moving like it was before the lockdown because so many little operators, little and when I say little, anything between 10 to 50 trucks will have disappeared out of the market. Obviously, the one man, the SMMEs have suffered tremendously as they have not had the luxury of having a broad amount of contracts to work from to keep them going. A very scary picture you paint there, Mr. Kelly. And But what measures have the transport and freight industry put in place to mitigate the complex and ever-changing landscape that the pandemic presents? Obviously, if you're not operating, if your wheels aren't turning, if you're not picking up loads and you're not delivering and you don't have customers, how do you generate uh, income, revenue, and where are you going to get that? So in the first couple of months, we were able to negotiate through our very own sector, our bargaining council, that employees were paid through a fund that we created that ensured that at least for the interim period, there were not huge numbers of retrenchments and layoffs, and that operators had the support of the bargaining council and funds out of that, that, that they've paid over a number of years. But that fund won't be around forever and it cannot carry everyone forever, obviously, because the fund is created by operators paying in and ensuring that such a fund exists. But if you're not generating revenue, you can't pay into this fund. So the second thing is definitely going to be looking at how you would efficiently run your operation and you will see a lot of operators are now going into various types of management schemes, which are automated or virtual, which will help far more efficient loads backwards and forwards. But that has a caveat to it, because once you start automating, 
generally that means a reduction in physical warm bodies. So we have to be very careful about how we would ensure that our supply chains are far more efficient. The only way going forward is going to be to ensure that there are projects in place. And for example, one of the logistics legs that has seen severe stress has been around the construction. So the moving of, of not only machinery, but the moving of cement and stone and chip for large construction projects. So one of the key things, and you'll see government is talking about this, is putting into play large infrastructure projects and through those infrastructure projects, you would have commodities needing to be moved. You would have people being worked. You would need to set up supply chains to feed and clothe and sleep the type of people that are going to be working there. So that would be one way that you could then re-energize through creating market demand to ensure that transport would then have a chance of surviving through this. Trucking and freight employees work in highly labor-intensive spaces. What are preventative measures have you enforced to prioritize the health, safety, and overall well-being of employees? Yeah, one of the biggest problems, you're quite correct, is that this is a highly labor-intensive scenario or industry, and quite often, you have a fair amount of the workers interact at a depot, but once these vehicles go out and offload, you have packers and loaders, for example, who might not necessarily be of the company itself, but they would interact with the receivers or the dispatchers on the other side. So there have been a number of, of, of initiatives that we've brought into place. Very early on, we created, drafted, and implemented an industry protocol, which was really based at that stage on what we knew about the pandemic <laughs> and the pandemic was don't get close to anybody which is a, a terribly hard thing to do so of course social distancing and the number of employees that were traditionally employed to do a job were then reduced you'll recall that in the very very beginning the hard lockdown was quite tough around people being actually able to move and where you were at that stage you were really stuck unless you had a permit to move in terms of employment and that was related to essential goods so at the very beginning you had the whole uh, choice of masks you had the sanitization you had the the staying away the self isolations we had testing happening at every single point so for example when a driver came to pick up a vehicle the vehicle needed to be sanitized before the driver got in the driver they went through the sanitization process him or herself they were tested in terms of a screening process for the symptoms then got on the vehicle and drove the vehicle to the point and normally when they got to a point they went through a very similar thing again that obviously apart from anything else was tremendously invasive for those individuals I'm sure you've heard reports of, you know, how many times you get the swab stuck into your nasal cavity. Eventually that starts to bleed. So we needed to make sure that, that uh, employees were treated in terms of that. So we had all of these protocols in place. And as the government changed its levels or itself then required through the Department of Labor certain protocols, so we amended them. So from the very beginning, there was actually quite a tight control of interpersonal connection even before the vehicles got out onto the road. 
so extensive work there. Lockdown has seen trucking and logistics companies introduce innovations and new approaches, some that you have mentioned. What technology have you adopted and has it proven to be any more effective and will you be using it post-pandemic? <laughs> That's a difficult question to answer for a number of reasons. I think the first one is that is that transport and logistics has over the last good decade, if not last century, been a very, very large employer of people. It has by its sheer nature. Just think about how trains are loaded and ships are loaded a uh, hundred years ago and how they're loaded today. They're, they're, you know, in the old days we used to put bags into ship holds into, into, the ship and distributed across the ship. These days they go into a, a container and the container is loaded in the very advanced ports around the world by an auto crane that has a GPS layout out of the ship and it can load the ship literally automated without a human being be there, being there. Those sort of changes are facing us in logistics, whether we like it or not. They, they actually ha were around even before we had the pandemic there are some innovators in the, in the storage business who are looking at the way in which warehouses are packed, the way in which things are picked and stacked, and the time which it takes to do these things. So one of the things we are facing is this 4IR, the Fourth Industrial Revolution changes, which I'm sure you must be quite aware of. And, and the pandemic has actually pushed us kicking and screaming, whether we like it or not, I think as a society, not only as transport, into accepting a lot more things. So what does that mean? Does that mean driverless trucks? Because that's what's happening around the world. Does that mean automated packing and distribution systems? Because we see that happening. So some of those things definitely are going to come about. And I think you will probably find a fair amount of those in the companies or businesses that have either been forced to close down. And if they want to come back, they're going to have to look at how they cut costs, or it's going to be in terms of the companies that are still running who want to expand, but reduce the overheads. And, and, you know, it's a terrible thing to say that an employee is an overhead, but that is what you're looking at is how you can employ as many people as possible, but keeping your overheads down and ensuring your efficiencies are up. So yes, I think we're going to see new technologies coming into play. Even, even without thinking about ele electric vehicles and all of that, but new technologies will have to come into play to ensure that companies can remain competitive, that they can move the goods as quickly and as efficiently as possible, and that obviously that they can ensure that the sustainability is what is going to be the most important thing in terms of longevity of the business. And speaking more on the pandemic itself, non-essential goods have been banned from moving. How has this affected inventory levels and the demand for additional warehousing facilities? Yeah, look, we, we've moved quite far from, from the non-essential goods being banned from moving. In the very beginning, in, in the first two months, there was this ban on non-essential goods. So what happened was, if you recall, that the very first direct impact of that was at the ports of entry. So the various seaports began to choke up 
as the containers that contained so-called non-essential goods then were just stacking up on the quayside or in the depots that are at ports where you stack these containers. So the first thing that we experienced were bottlenecks at the ports of entry. Obviously, inland, the consumer levels had dropped, or literally become zero. So some of the items began to bottleneck as well in the various depots or on shelves because they weren't moving. Some of that, depending on what it is, might have reached an expiry date, which means that now needs to be thrown away, especially any sort of food stuff, medicine, um, although those were not banned, specifically not perishables, but there might be some articles that have reached a, a sell-by date. And then, of course, because demand has dropped, you can no longer sell whatever it was. Let's say you had a, a bottle of water at 10 Rand, the wrong example, but let's go with this, a bottle of water for 10 Rand or a ruler for 10 Rand, you could no longer get rid of it. You now had to have to try and sell it off for 2 Rand. And of course, whatever cost you might have had in terms of storing it, packaging it, moving it, you would now lose because you can no longer sell it for the market price. So we've had bottlenecks. We've had depots that now are were, uh, before we moved to level three, were reaching where the stock levels were such that they could no longer take any more. We do have some shortages within the, within the supply chain. We've recently had some diesel shortages, but that wasn't necessarily only because of the pandemic. Where the pandemic came to play in there was that the various maintenance that needed to be done couldn't be done because there was a ban on the movement of people, specifically those coming from overseas. So we've had relatively three or four or five different immediate effects. We've had bottlenecks at ports of entry. We've had depots filling up. And then we do still have, in some cases, in some retailers, there are products that are not available because the manufacturing systems were, were closed down. People weren't allowed to work. So the available stock that did exist in local distribution centers has been exhausted. So there will be some lag in terms of getting some of those products back. And how has the RFA assisted road freight operators with clearing up misunderstandings and more importantly, keeping lines of communication open with various stakeholders? Well, there have been a number of, of programs that we followed. One of the things we did as soon as the lockdown was declared was we created literally a 24-7 call center which was manned, <laughs> I, I had a fair share of that as well, where we had a number that everyone could contact and then query things, clarify things. We've set up a number of social media platforms like WhatsApp groups. Uh, we've got Facebook and those sorts of things where people can ask questions and any clarity. We've created links with the various authorities, depending on who they are, like the South African Police Services, where in the first couple of weeks we had tremendous challenges where it seemed that generally the public knew a lot more about the lockdown than the poor police officers did on the roads. So clarifying things like permits and if you remember the good old CIPC certificates, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really been a sharing of information and ensuring that we don't have these silos where we don't share information. That has been a major contributor to ensuring that freight kept going. Then obviously we have now the new norm, which is the webinars, the social media, 
distance platforms where we continually chat to one another. If something is raised as being an obstacle or a hindrance, we have far better communication channels now with the authorities, I think, than we did have pre-COVID-19. It's not all absolute roses and moonshine and sunshine, but I think definitely as a country and as various players within the economy, we are talking to one another far more frequently and getting things done. Obviously, there are challenges. For example, the borders. And the borders are unique because the border is a contact point between one sovereign state and the other. And it doesn't matter how we, for example, in South Africa might feel about COVID and the testing thereof and where we are. And our neighbor, who could be Zimbabwe, Botswana or Mozambique, might feel totally differently given their set of circumstances in that country and how they operate. So even though we talk, even though we found a number of solutions to a number of challenges, there are still a couple that, that have got us nicely ankled tied, ankle tied and standing still at, at borders. And road transport is a preferred mode of transport for essential goods. And this is relied, relied upon heavily for the continued supply of food, medicine and other essential products. What is the primary concern or, challenged, or challenge faced by the road transport segment? Most goods in this country, up to 85% of goods travel via a road leg. And, and that's for one simple reason. There isn't another viable option. That's the simple reason. Why isn't there another viable option? Well, that's a discussion we can have all day. For example, why isn't rail a viable option? One of the reasons for that is because rail cannot do what road does at that same sort of pricing level in terms of door-to-door -door deliveries, small consignments, getting to any place in the country. For rail, you need to have a railway line. And obviously, we're not going to have railway lines going into every single suburb from distribution centers, or maybe we should have. But that's one of the, the things to remember. The second thing to remember is that across the world, the customer, you and I, the average consumer, will always use the method of transport or the method of delivery to me that requires the least amount of payment and the least amount of effort on, on, on your or my behalf. What did we see during COVID-19? We actually saw it happening before. A good year before that, we saw the advent of something that people refer to as electronic logistics or electronic markets or the electronic economy. People were buying things online and this would be delivered to their door by some sort of express parcel, courier, small transporter type of, of environment. And I'm not sure about your kids, but I have daughters and they can buy dresses overseas um, as they can here and get them delivered here sometimes far cheaper than what that item would be in a local shop. I'm sure you know the case of Dion Wyatt and how they struggled against this electronic economy or the electronic um, warehouse. So definitely big changes happening in that sort of aspect in terms of things coming straight to your door. And none of that is done by train. A lot of it's done by plane. So at the end of the day, the biggest problem, whether it's an essential article or not, the, the, the determinant of how this article is going to move is going to be the client. And if I can get 
a liter of milk, and I'm going to give it again, a, a very generic example. If I can get a liter of milk to my house via train cheaper than via a truck, I'll use the train because as the consumer, I'm paying. And that's the reality why so much freight across the world even is moving via road, not necessarily always by truck. It can be lighter vehicles and a fair amount of our transport in this country is in actual fact smaller vehicles it's not the big trucks the big trucks are running the long hauls bringing large quantities from depots to depots from manufacturers to retailers example but that is the reason why it's on road it's what the customer wants demands and at this stage is prepared to pay for now, lastly, Mr. Kelly, have there been any lessons from the pandemic that you will apply moving forward? Yeah, I, th I think the first lesson we can learn is don't eat bat. Now, we don't know why, why this nasty sickness came to us. So I think there's some lessons that need to be learned in terms of how to protect ourselves from this sort of thing going forward. In terms of the industry, we've, through the protocols that we've developed, the various health check processes we have in place, I don't think they're going to disappear. Especially given that a disease like this, it's such a, a vicious, or it's such a active infectious type of thing. It's really contagious. So we are probably going to remain with a fair amount of these protocols, even once COVID is gone. And that's going to be a good question, I think, that we really need to to look at and discuss is when will COVID be gone? Will COVID be gone when we go to alert level one? Or will COVID be gone when we can definitely note how many infections we are having? Because those two things are different. And, and I think that's important is that we need to understand that even though we might be at alert level two as from midnight tonight, or even if it was alert level one, that does not mean we need to drop the health protocols. So that's the first lesson is that we've learned as an industry is how to deal with this sort of a pandemic and how to work with our employees and with our clients. And then secondly, obviously, we've learned of various different ways of doing business and how we're going to accommodate that into the current business practice. I, th I think those are the two greatest lessons that we've learned and we would need to apply. And that was Gavin Kelly, the CEO of the Road Freight Association, sharing with us how the trucking and freight industry has been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. Or stream by www.varfm.co.za.